You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Hello and welcome. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace and blessings of God Almighty be upon you all. You have joined us on another episode of Saturday Morning Live. My name is Usman Shazad Bad, and with me in the studios are my good friends and co-presenters. <laughs> no, I'm just building the suspense. Mudabar <laughs> Khalid and Shams Najam. This is a live and interactive show. And today, in the first hour, we, as usual, will be going through different news stories that caught our eye. And in the second hour, we'll be talking about our main topic, which is youth engagement. Do have your say. It is your show. We want you to be part of our show. Call us 0208-687-7878. That's 0208-687-7878. Guys, it's good to see you. I think the last time we were in the studio together... um, which was maybe about a month ago. Shams, you were about to go Poland, and uh, Mudabu, you were just enjoying life as you normally do. Oh, I went to Poland as well. <laughs> oh, did you go to Poland as well? I think Shams was more engrossed in it than leader, I was. Leader yeah. of the pack. I made a golf play, yeah. Sh- yeah, so no, Shams leader was leader of the pack. Of the pack. Yeah. There's about uh, ten, nine of us that went. Nine of us, yeah. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I suppose the main the main reason we went was just to see some of the history, um, and Auschwitz. Well, what inspired that trip? Though, what made you want to go there? Um, uh, I think a few years ago, me, uh, the and a few other boys, we went to Berlin um, and experienced some of the sort of history, World War Two history, yeah. and there was a concentration camp just outside of Berlin uh, called Sachsenhausen I think mm-hmm. um, and that was quite yeah inspiring to see I say inspiring it was quite um, eye opening to see and um, since then I'd all, I think Mo was the same a few of us we, we'd always we'd had always wanted to go to visit um, Auschwitz because that was you know the main um, sort of camp yeah. uh, or the main group of camps um, and so, yeah, again, it's just just very eye-opening uh, to see um, the 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 relics and you know some of the like things they still they they they've they've still got in in these camps. It's, it's crazy to see. Do you f- do you feel with like the whole Ukraine war and you guys witnessing this to have any impact on your thoughts of or even kind of fear of what, what could be <clears throat> I think for me what what it, what it did highlight was it, it it highlighted how cruel man can be yeah. um the ability that man has in search of sort of hunger and power the ability man has to be to do anything to accomplish those sort of goals is very apparent very <clears throat> calculated very yeah very yeah, intelligent uh, for me you know the most horrific and scary part of the whole thing was how calculated how premeditated everything was and wherever we walked around and got given the tour of the different parts of the camp and they said that this hair this happened this <coughs> happened over here this part of the process was over here everything nearly everywhere the woman that was going to the tour um, went she was saying everything was about efficiency yeah efficiency 
it had to be like the easiest thing and the most simplest thing, the the quickest way to get rid of the bodies, quickest way to kill the people, quickest way to like put them into work or whatever. And it was just so premeditated, so premeditated, so calculated. And yeah, it was so shocking. Honestly, it was was such an eye-opener and like some of the things they still have there and they, they say that we're not allowed to take pictures of it due to respect. For example, there's a, a wall, a long wall full of hair. So when you got to the concentration camp and they registered you, they would take your, take your hair off, um, they would shave your hair off, which they would later use for textiles and sell. Um, mm. And literally, there's a wall, full wall. Um, it's covered in glass, obviously, but it's just an enclosed uh, glass area, which just shocking. Yeah, wall, I think wall makes it sound like it's not a lot. Trust but me, it's, there's yeah, so it's, it's like a room. mountain. It's like a room. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. a like a room going from one end of the room, like a hall, one end of the hall to the other, and it it's got like a glass covering on one side, and you look through the glass, it's like a a, a little mini hill or yeah, mountain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of like hair. Mount. What's that? Just to kind of remember those who. Yeah, yeah, yeah and and then there's other areas where there's like suitcases and the shoes as well. You know the kids', kids. shoes. Oh, so there's a room where they heartbreaking. They've, where they've kept. Um, clothes and remember this isn't kept as in from everyone this is just what was found when mm. um you know sort of towards the end because they tried to burn everything used. when the liberation army came towards the end of the world uh, end of world war Two, they mm. tried uh, nazis tried to burn everything burn all the evidence but there were some things that were left behind so mm. some like belongings and stuff as i was saying and yeah and these suitcases and like shoes of kids so they had like one area of just kids yeah just the children's shoes and like this small man oh, that's was, crazy that yeah. was the most heartbreaking for me and the hair but yeah it was it was honestly an eye-opener it was very and uh one of the things that the tour guy kept saying as well was that this this serves as a warning and i think she was saying it quite like trying to make an impact because obviously given the current situation of Russia and Ukraine it's right it should serve as a warning so um, yeah it was quite uh, potent uh, that she mentioned that but also it was um, yeah to me generally the trip was a lot better than I expected I I didn't know what to expect when you think of Poland I don't know why initially your thoughts are not a third world country but it's not going to be like London uh, mm. And you go there, and it's yeah, it's very very nice. The the city Krakow definitely was one. Of, it was cleaner than London, a lot cleaner than London. Uh, generally, the architecture I thought was really nice. The square was right. Square was really nice. People were really nice. Uh, really good trip. Really really good trip. And especially, I think what makes a trip generally, I think you guys might agree as well, is the people you're with. Yeah. So um, you know, we we um, maintained our namazes, our, our prayers. We did our juma there as well. Um, we we did our best to like you know just make sure that we were doing the right thing at all times. So yeah, and then we got our brothers with us to encourage us to do good. So that yeah. was that was really good. Yeah, that was nice. Uh, there's a uh, so as you go into some of these rooms um, in Auschwitz, yeah. in, in Auschwitz, yeah. you go into some of these rooms and they've got various different buildings. Um, like you just see the state they were living in, yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah, the yeah. toilets and you know the the tight spaces they were living in. But anyway, as you walked through, because they've kind of turned it into like a museum type, so they've got like pictures and and yeah. and quotes. And there's, there's one quote which I took a picture of, which was quite, um, you know, uh, basically it, it says, "Those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it." Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the kind that was the feeling you get there as yeah, well. It's yeah. like 
you need to recognize this because this is where we're heading again yeah. like just complete it's crazy mentality. actually like after hearing and even you just showed me a picture that looks wow it's really kind of takes your breath away in terms of what's happened but it's one of those things like the Ukraine war is not over really? like, it's still, still happening, happening but it's yeah. just crazy how the media narrative just takes your attention away from that because yeah. I remember when it first started how worried the whole world was because mm-hmm. on everyone's mind was World War 3 World War 3 World War 3 now like because the media is not pushing out as much World Cup Cricket World Cup now Football World Cup everyone's attention is a bit back to normal yeah. do you know what I think so it's it's one of those things <clears throat> yeah. it's and, and do you know one thing I, I've said this before and I think uh, our um, our leader uh, His Holiness Hazmizam Musrur Ahmed may Allah be his help he also mentioned as well that for a lot of people World War 3 started World War 3 is yeah. happening it's yeah. happening in the midst of it so yeah and it's, I, think, I don't think it's long before it could um, scale up to be fair the, the, the thing that, that really catches you about sort of listening like if you were to just go there but having the guy talk you through it's, it's the level of deception so yeah. the reason why they've kept all of these sort of things is like you know the, the suitcases and clothes or whatever is because they said that these, these prisoners came in well prisoners these, these people came in who ultimately became you know they turned them into prisoners they, they thought they were being liberated yeah. uh, they thought they were coming here and finally they were getting a, you know they would have some sort of yeah. uh, peace to some degree but the level of deception like to, to the extent where there's one area which is just full of sort of kitchen um, sort of cutlery and pots and pans oh, yeah. Yeah. because they bought all of their belongings from their homes thinking they're now they're going, going to liberate. a better place yeah um, and they were just deceived, and that's what we see in the world today. Yeah. This World War Three, <clears throat> you know, potential. yeah, you know, one of the things that stood out to me, all of it stood out, but one of the things that I remember like quite quite vividly was what you're mentioning about deception. So they would, uh, a lot of them would take train journeys. They would take train journeys for about eight to yeah. ten days, yeah. and this whole train journey would um, consist of no food, no water, nothing, <coughs> in cramped spaces, no place to go to the toilet, nothing at all. Mm. And um, they, will be, they would be on this journey, they'll be tired, tired, there'll be children on this journey as well. Remember, eight to ten days journey from all around Europe, these people were coming into Auschwitz, right? And then uh, even when they come off in Auschwitz, yeah, when, they, when the train lands, actually in Birkenau, Birkenau is another camp right outside Auschwitz, when the train uh, stops there, they come off and like, they've been greeted by the soldiers. And even there at the camp, they're being deceived. Because imagine you're like um, you, a tr- journey of about eight to ten days, no food, no water. You've got kids crying. Uh, you're tired, um, defecating everywhere. And the, and the soldiers say to you, yeah, OK, you're going to be sorted now. Like the deception even in the camp and then that's when they started separating them so they would look at them they'll, they'll form a queue as soon as they come off the train they'll form a queue if you look like someone oh, that yeah. could be used for work whatever you go one way if you're a woman or if you're a child if you're like nearly dead like okay you're gonna send you off that way go this way and they don't know everyone's willingly walking to this place that they were going to and they're most likely going to the, the chambers to be killed off and then again, in the chambers, I don't know how vivid we can like explicitly talk, but in the chambers, <clears throat> there's like two seat. There's two like uh, how do you say it? Um, it's like a hall, but at the top and <clears throat> on the ceiling, 
Um, there's two vents. Yeah, there's two vents. vents. There's a massive shower, right? And there's two vents at the top, and uh, that's where they spew and uh, pour the gas in from. They were told they're going to showers to yeah, clean yeah. up. <clears throat> Again, it's cramped, very cramped, right? And then uh, what they would do after about twenty minutes, when they, when they when they've been gassed, when they would go in, they would find basically two mounds, two mountains of people right underneath the the vents. Because what people what would happen is that people would climb. As soon as they start asphyxiating, start you know uh, choking yeah. on the gas, they would try and climb to the vent, whereas that's actually where the gas is coming from. And they would find all the children and the elderly right at the bottom of that pile of humans, and at the top would be the youngest and the fittest. And sometimes there will people there will be people actually still alive just towards the end of their death after 20 minutes, and they're climbing, and there will literally always be mountains of people right underneath those vents. Oh, that sounds extremely <coughs> sad, man. That's, yeah, um, it's very eye-opening. It's very, um, very eye-opening. Yeah, it seems like a very eye-opening trip. But yeah, yeah. It's, I guess it's one of those things. I, I think it serves as a warning. Yeah, it serves as a warning. But that that quote that you mentioned, I think that's a good way mm. to kind of end. What was that quote again? I'll bring it back up. But uh, essentially, it was you know if you don't remember the past, you're then condemned. You yeah, you yeah. basically repeat it. You repeat it. Yeah. Here it is. Uh, those who do not. Remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Yeah, I think that's a good note to now move on to some of the news stories, uh, what we've been seeing in the week. It was World Cup fever. Uh, England played yesterday. We're actually having a little debate prior to the show. We thought, let's save it for the show. What do you guys think of England's performance so far, two games in? The first game was, I think it was just an easy game for them. So they did all right. Um, they, they had very good chemistry. Yeah. Uh, they looked hungry as well, and um, Iran actually. I know this is separate to the con- the question you asked, but uh, my favorite game so far has been Iran versus Wales. Wales, yeah, I didn't see that game. I didn't get to that. Or honestly, you should watch the whole ninety minutes, at least the f- second half. Second half was incredible. Iran were the all thing, over them. I don't think like you know. Okay, you see England play Iran. Obviously, Iran's not much of a. Team, kind yeah. of um, one of the teams that will give you a problem but I realise in the World Cup especially after these first round of games Argentina losing Germany, Germany losing, losing yeah. uh, you think you know what World Cup there is no real easy game because yeah. anyone can turn up on any day and mm. do something so when England won in the fashion that they won I thought good on them they're, they're looking good but then yesterday <laughs> uh, it, it's positive that we we got a point out of it that's positives but I feel yesterday was the first time I thought What's Southgate doing in his, what, in his selection? Anderson? No, in his selection. Okay. In his selection and his substitution. I didn't understand his substitution. If you look at every... If I was to ask every single person that I know prior to the World Cup starting, and this is not just people like us, normal people. This is like professional pundits who also give their opinion. What's your starting eleven? The one name you would definitely have and one name that everyone builds the team around is Phil Foden yeah. because he is an extreme talent like yeah. he's one of the best youngsters in the game mm-hmm. and alright I understand he didn't win he didn't start the first game we won you go with the winning team but bring him on like we need some sort of creativity is 0-0 zero, zero. Yeah. we need some sort of creativity we need to change it up and he brought on Henderson yeah. and that for me was what's going on here like yeah but Henderson I, to be fair I thought that wasn't a bad substitution I didn't think of Foden, I but I thought I th- Foden, I'm surprised he didn't come on. 
But when he did come on, when Henderson, I, I, to be fair, even when I saw his face, I was like, "Wow, Henderson, he's still in the squad," <laughs> because only because of his age, like I, th- I would have thought they would have been a bit more um, uh, younger, a bit more youthful players. But um, I did think he changed the game for the first five ten minutes. He definitely changed the game. He changed the pace of the game. Chances came literally within the first two minutes. There were two chances. There were two no. attacks. There uh, were two uh, attacks I'd, that I'd, were created, and they were from the right hand side where Jordan was playing. So I didn't see any of that. I, I just saw. I don't know. Like were I, you sleeping? I, or? Know, I, I saw like a panic move, and I think what he <laughs> thought. I think what Southgate thought was, we much rather draw than lose, and I don't think he was going for the win. And I appreciate that. Or right, if we go through, then his tactics work. But I'm just saying we've got a bench that can change the game. When I watch Brazil game, do you watch the Brazil game? No. Their bench is as good as their starting lineup. Yeah. Yeah. So their players came on, even though they were winning with a point to prove. So you're telling me like Phil Foden's watching this game, he's not going to want to come on in... 100%. So go for the win. I mean, we still got one other game. We're playing... I think we only... During the whole game, I think we took one or a few shots. How many shots did we have? Very Mm. little shots. Like on the news segment, it was literally the most boring game to watch. And frustrating game I to watch. I think it was a more boring game. I watched a couple of days before. But I don't know which one it was. But yeah, it was, it was a disappointing game, 100%. Um, I'm rooting for the African team. I want one African team to come forward. Well, you've got the Arab teams. Saudi beating Argentina, Qatar. Oh yeah, Qatar. I was watching, it is a news story oh, that apparently the Saudi Arabia players have all been uh, promised a Rolls Royce. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you ever need an incentive to win, imagine what they'll get if they win. win the World Cup. No, no, for, win, for beating Argentina. They're all going to get a Rolls Royce. It was, really? it was a national holiday the next day. No way. Yeah, the, the, in Saudi Arabia it was a national holiday. So England had more possession, 55 to 45. No, uh, but there was one spell where the, where America had like five corners in a row. Remember? Yeah, in the and Maguire, Maguire looked pretty decent. I think he was well, right. let's, let's move on. But before we move on, what's your after these first round of games, who do you think is going to win? Spain are looking good. France looking good. Brazil. Brazil. Uh, so. I mean, Brazil got too much depth, haven't they? His name was injured, though. Oh, he was he do something to his ankle or something? Yeah, he rolled his ankle. Is he out? I don't know, but he looked in tears, so it looks like he might be out. Yeah. So you're going Brazil, you're going. Uh, I can't. I, if I was to pick one team, I'd say Spain potentially. I just need to see Argentina play today because if they're as bad as they were in the first game, because I'm rooting for Argentina. Are you? I want England to win, but after yesterday's, I don't know. I don't know, but Argentina. Yeah, I think that would be a good close to. Messi's uh, career. Yeah. Achua, what do you think about um, if, we're, if we're if we're done with the yeah yeah the food we talk? But what do you think of the whole drama about um, politics being involved and uh, people always pundits even pundits I've seen it myself like always needing to comment on the state of affairs within Qatar. Uh, and then just mixing it with football, whether it's right for players to come, <laughs> armbands, etc. I feel with this whole situation. It's a lot of pressure to say something that you might not even be well educated about. Mm. So I think with what's happening at the moment, I don't think I think ninety percent of those who are involved, including mm. players, including pundits, including presenters, ninety mm. percent of them just feel societal pressure, uh, and they'll just kind of have to say what they, well they have to kind of go with the flow so that they they are still in a job or so that they can still play or so that they can enjoy. Being in Qatar, I don't think and the reason I say it. it. Yeah. No, the reason I say that is because the reality is they all knew this when they won the bid. 
Yeah. But yet none of them feel strongly enough about it to say, do you know what? No, I boycott this. I don't want to go. Mm-hmm. I feel so strongly about this. I don't want to go. But the fact is they're all there. They're all enjoying this little break from their normal lives. Mm. And they're joining the World Cup. Mm. So it's just that pressure of, you know, that we mentioned this a couple of shows ago as well, is that when society thinks something's right, and slowly, slowly, that becomes the norm. Yeah. Now you're, if you don't do it, you get cancelled. Mm. So you're just under pressure to do it. So that's why I feel like majority of these people, not, well, I won't say majority, i say maybe 90% are just fill into that bracket of they don't really know what, what the people of Qatar are saying in terms of respect or why, why we believe what we believe yeah. it's none of that it's just we don't feel comfortable they've even actually been a bit more lax so uh, uh, um, with regards to like the alcohol thing yeah. saying in public if you want to go like not public but in yeah. private in your own homes and stuff you want to go drink that's fine we haven't got a problem with that we're just saying within the stadiums don't do that I, I don't and, think you, I, and I read I, there was a f- well very well known um, <coughs> oh, he's well known but I forgot his name but he's a, also a radio presenter Piers Morgan? No, 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 not him. We'll come to him as well, but not him. John Barnes? Um, no. Oh, that's useless. Like, I'm not gonna. It's not gonna ring a bell. LBC. But he, he basically, no, he basically okay. said that like he, he basically gave up. Drinking was an issue for him. Yeah. And he gave it up about 20 years ago. Uh-huh. So for him, he goes, when I read this, it was like great. Like that's really. He goes, I find it really difficult going to games where everyone's drinking. Yeah. So I don't think the drink thing's an issue. Again, I think people that's something even, that people yeah. can accept. Even um, even some of the attendees there have mentioned that they actually appreciate it because when they're sober, they can soak in a lot more and they can actually enjoy that's when it. The, that's bit. when these games feel a lot more boring. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you see England play the way that they play yesterday. <laughs> I can only imagine what the fans were going through. For but me, it's, it's just... Yeah, I mean, it's... Um, I saw, I saw uh, a clip the other day of a journalist asking... I can't remember, it, I think it may have been a manager... And he's saying, okay, well, if you want to ask, I think as a manager of, was it a manager? Um, I think it was Iran's manager. I Iran's think I know manager. what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. And he's basically saying, if you want to ask, why don't you go and ask Southgate, Southgate, and the players, you know, of the political decisions you take against our country. Yeah. yeah or, or or whatever. But mm-hmm. it, I find it, it's the hypocrisy. It's like holding to account when you feel like you want to hold to account, but you don't want to be held to account. And mm-hmm. I, I, I don't like. I don't like the agenda that the West can set the rules. Um, mm. Like, you're going to a different country, respect what they're doing, mm. um, respect the decisions they're, they're making, follow that culture for the time that you're there, come back, continue to, to do what... Like, like for example, um, I saw a video um, of, uh, you know, after yesterday, there, there were some fans, I think they were maybe in a pub or something, and... Um, after yesterday's draw, you know, alcohol is being thrown around, bottles, and I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not, not judging everyone. But what I'm saying is, on the flip side, you see the Japanese team um, mm. and and the Japanese supporters, and they've gone and cleaned up the stadium, and yeah. and they, you know that it, it just shows the level of respect that you you should have yeah. for sort of other cultures, yeah. other societies. We're different. We're different for a reason. Because everyone lives in these, you know, it's, it's an Islamic thing as well. You're, you, you, you're in different tribes and different cultures, different groups, so that you can. That was actually the verse that was mentioned in the opening ceremony as well. Even yeah, that, though, can, this is what I'm saying. Even with the opening, one I don't understand why BBC didn't show. Yeah, they the actually mentioned ceremony. there was a technical issue because they said there was some delay or something, and then uh, for that reason they. I don't know, but it, it seemed really like it was. That was so weird that. 
we live in a multicultural country no. yeah like this society is it's not it's known it's kind of uh you can say people take people take credit and almost are very proud of the fact that we live in a multicultural society yeah um but yet when it comes to watching the opening ceremony in our country like there's thousands of, if not millions of muslims in the uk mm-hmm. like for us like we enjoy watching the opening ceremony but mm-hmm. it's like it's not even about that i remember when it was in south africa i remember when it was in brazil it's you get to see that culture in that opening ceremony you get to see that yeah. culture that traditions <coughs> of those and we never got to see we only got to see gary lineker give his little speech and that's it so that that was I did, that didn't sit well with me either. I thought yeah. they should have been neutral when it comes to showing yeah, like, should have the opening <coughs> ceremony. Also, uh, also, I think there's been some points raised about. Oh, I think it's already already been mentioned actually about um, you know the the hypocrisy when it comes to um, you know the 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 state of affairs in whatever country the yeah the, yeah. the thing wherever it's taking place. For example, UK we haven't got a, a great track record of. Our policies or our politics, even or Russia, human Ru- rights exactly. violations, and, and and we know that the Olympics took place in Russia not too long ago. There were issues there. There are issues there. Yeah. The issues have been there for a long time. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's been mentioned already. But people need to just really like self-reflect on whatever. I think even like one one example came to my mind was like for example, like in France when there was a whole hijab ban. Like, there was no outroar like this no. yeah. in the same way like, no one stood up and said no this is totally wrong like mm. against like freedom of speech and freedom of expression none of that was said yeah it was just respect this is our rules we're going to live by it and if you mm. don't like it that's that's your problem and and actually that that at that point you were infringing on someone's basic religious rights human yeah. rights yeah. Yeah. what you what was happening in sort of you know this ban on alcohol let's say for example it's not affecting anyone's religious rights yeah. to practice their religion or their beliefs mm. yeah. you know it's and at the same time there are like Mo said there there are areas where you can still but when these things happened in France and I think Switzerland as well nothing but you're and i think uh, the like the lgbtq community again it's it's difficult because it's like they and this is why I feel the education's not there like you said no one's denying them of their rights if someone let's say homosexual goes to watch this game or goes to enjoy the world cup no one's denying him of his rights whether you're heterosexual homosexual the reality is in muslim countries in muslim practices there is no uh, public show of affection yeah yeah so that doesn't matter if you're homosexual heterosexual whatever you are husband wife whatever it is yeah. there is no public <clears throat> showing of affection yeah. because of our traditions yeah. of men and women segregating yeah so in the same way a homosexual man can stand up a heterosexual man can say that I want to be affectionate with my wife or mm. I want to go hold this and that but it's the that's the that's, all, yeah. that's the tradition and culture that a Muslim country should be. So, this is the difference. I think. Well, whenever LGBT comes up, it's like no one's, whether we agree with that act or not, that's mm. a separate issue. But we're not. No one's denying you of yeah. your rights. Come enjoy the World Cup. Mm. Enjoy it as any other man or woman would. Yeah. Uh, and then you go back to your normal life, day to day life. I think the biggest argument from the from that community is that it's our identity. But uh, also, when we say don't, or when the when the, when the country says don't display the, that behavior. Of in public, we're, they're not saying we're not. We don't respect that. You, you, that's not your identity. We're just saying don't do that. Mm. It's the same. If you go to any Arab country, like you mentioned, if you're heterosexual, homosexual, whatever, these public displays of affection are not allowed. Mm. I actually remember um, a story in 
Dubai where uh, a couple mistakenly or on purpose i don't know they they uh showed some public display of affection um and they got into a lot of trouble for that they got imprisonment actually uh in dubai and united uh, uh, arab emirates and you know that's a perfect example if that happens over there why do hunt millions of people still flock to that country if they know what it's like yeah so um you yeah. see the narrative as well it's just this, this evil qatar evil this evil that the narrative is just there's such a there's an a, there's an attempt a clear attempt to just tarnish the yeah. name. But the, the funny <laughs> thing is, it's like <laughs> where where and I was watching like prior to the World Cup. If like I could just imagine like the Qatar um, executive just sitting laughing, thinking we've yeah. got so much money that they're never going to back away. <laughs> like literally, this is what this is what I mean. They've got so much money yeah. that whatever you say. You're not going to back away, yeah. and I think um, I remember that the David Beckham, like a lot of memes were made about him, like how he spoke against it, and now he's like the he's one of the advocates mm. because he's getting paid to do so. So yeah. it's like it's one of those things. It's um, I, I for them it's probably in that one ear out the other. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if for everyone else, it's just like in in every like game before they air it on TV this is a point of discussion it's like no longer about the football and the football is like a secondary thing now it destroys it for me yeah. personally I think <clears> it no, but doesn't even it's fine I, I feel that football sports in general can be used as a tool to bring a lot of different subjects important subjects to the table and resolve certain issues I remember like um, Drogba once mentioned on, on one of these TV shows that football is such a powerful tool in like uh, Ivory Coast where he was yeah. from that it stopped the civil war mm. and he goes we as players took it upon ourselves to go and speak to everyone and say look we're going to go like, play back us don't fight each other yeah. and he goes it stopped the civil war so there's examples where football or any sports can really unite a country but this if you're going to do that I mean, no I'm saying yeah. if you're going to do that then be fair and do it for everything yeah. don't pick and choose what suits you or what, yeah. choose your, what suits your society do it for everyone. So when Muslims are also, it's when it's like what you're saying. Injustice. When, do when it Piers for Morgan said <laughs> when he was being interviewed and he he asked and you know he asked the presenter, yeah. do you, do you travel to these countries? And mm. it's like, yeah, we'll stop traveling to these countries then. Mm. It's mm. as simple as that. Mm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, again, it's just yeah. I mean, well, look, Piers Morgan. You mentioned Piers Morgan. It's interesting because it's something. Um, I want to talk about as well because his interview with Ronaldo it kind of sh- the whole, was it was so anticipated well. it was so like the the whole world is waiting to see what, what this is the way they um, the way they they very kind of dropped snippets dropped here and snippets there snippets here and there <laughs> to say look Ronaldo's giving an interview and then now like it makes sense when Ronaldo put a tweet out that all will be revealed yeah. <laughs> you know, all of this but what do, what, do, what do you guys think of that Ronaldo interview I actually didn't watch it. I haven't watched I've it. Watched it watch. I didn't want to watch it. No, I didn't want, <laughs> you don't want because, to. No, you didn't because no, want to. No, because like for me, it's like I get everyone goes through problems, yeah. Yeah. And I think with him, there's two things. One is if you just use that platform to tell us about your issues in terms of these are where the family issues I was going through, mm-hmm. and the club or the people fans weren't aware, and I'm letting you know, that's totally separate, and I respect that. But but the moment it turns from that to I don't respect this manager and uh, these players are like of a different generation they don't work hard I feel that's where it's like bro you're getting paid millions of pounds mm. deal with it like mm. but why do you feel necessary why do you feel yeah, it necessary to come I, on this platform uh, and talk ill of your your colleagues 
or your manager? I don't know, man. I, I don't know if I don't know if money can come into it like that because I feel at the end of the day there's still a human element. It, it, regardless yeah, no. of how much money is being paid, someone's if someone feels that their dignity is being questioned or their they're like they're they're not being treated fairly. I get that bit. That's what I said. When it comes to the non-footballing side of things, yeah. with like his family issues, hundred yeah. percent use this platform. Let the world know because I feel he was mistreated. Mm. There was a media narrative that, oh, he doesn't want to turn up to preseason. He doesn't want to play, but no one knew what was going on. Yeah, yeah? that bit I get hundred percent and air that out. But the second part of the interview where it's like, you know. <coughs> that for me I, that that just didn't sit well to be fair I think um, maybe we need to watch the whole interview because a lot of people that have watch, watched it yeah, I need to said watch that it. that was only like a fraction of the way he spoke about it, the manager Ten Hag not yeah Ten Hag and mm. um, also where he spoke about some of the other players he didn't speak too ill of them he only mentioned that one one or two comments but he, I think generally his comments were that the mindset has not evolved as it should have. Here's um, the flip side of that, though. Here's the here's where I'm lasers. thinking. Yeah, here's yeah, what I'm thinking. Hundred percent. If if this interview was the what caused the Glazers to realize that oh my god, I think we need to leave yeah. because Ronaldo's come out and it's only going to get worse. Yeah. Then, but this is the best thing he's ever done. That, do you think it sparked that? Or? I don't know because the thing is, previously things that he said have have been said previously. Like Gary Neville on a number of occasions on Sky has mentioned these things that yeah. our club is falling behind par. Yeah. yeah, all the other world clubs are moving forward with time. Investments being to their stadium to training facilities. United is really at the bottom when it comes to these things. So these things are in public. Uh, domain but no. when Ronaldo says it the guy's nearly got 500 Instagram followers so it's a huge difference 500 500 sorry million <laughs> 500 million I believe I think he's like he's, the, hard, yeah, he's close hard. to 500 yeah, he's got the most hasn't he yeah so when mm. someone of that influence says something like this <laughs> it, it must it means something it must and I was, that's when I was praying and I, my, my mood changed a bit because none of what's now happened now apparently Saudis want to buy them yeah but, but anyway. now, do you know who I'm hoping buys United Beckham, Beckham. No, no no Beckham Apple is- I'm hoping Apple, Apple. Fight. yeah, Apple. Apparently, there are talks that Apple's also really uh, in talks of buying Imagine United. The stadium. <laughs> no, but and, and the, the thing is, so, they presented the finances and they said that the club. I think they they it's close to four billion that they're selling it for. Hmm. And Apple, if they decide to buy it, that's like a week's worth of um, their income. Their income. They just buy that and then it goes because their revenue is so ridiculous. Also, that would be owned by shareholders as well. Because Apple's, no Apple's a listed company, so mm. um. it's not. It's good. This is what I was saying. I've got no ill towards Ronaldo. I think the guy is still a legend. This doesn't take away from what he's done, the service that he's given to United, and I think with the United fans as well. But <coughs> how do you feel like he's being treated this season? He was one of the top scorers last season. Yeah, of the of the league. I think what's happened. Not just of the cl- of the league. I yeah? think I, I think what's happened. Thirty seven years old. What's I, happened this I season? I think this is what's happened is he didn't have a proper preseason. Yeah, yeah? and when the manager came in. Like any manager that comes in would say, no, I want Ronaldo. He's still one of the best. He brings, if anything, more than playing. Obviously, he's still scoring goals. But the maturity and the kind of senior <coughs> seniority that he'll bring into the dressing room, I want that. Yeah. I think when he, Ronaldo came back, the team was in somewhat good form. I know we didn't start good, but then afterwards, we started picking up form. And I think the style of football that they realized they need to play was where... It's a lot high press, running, working hard off the ball, and I just feel Ronaldo. And even if you watch the World Cup, he's not. He has. A, I mean, he's very clever in the terms that 
as he gets older, he knows how to adjust his game to his health. Mm. And I think now he's not at that stage, and they know that as well, where he can play to that that strategy. So I think that's when they realize that, okay, do you know what? We actually don't. He wouldn't suit us, him starting. Mm. And I just think there's been some sort of communication break where if that's the case, like you've publicly announced that, yeah, no, I want Ronaldo. He's part of my plans. He's very important. To now, actually, we don't really need him to start. That mm. needs to be communicated to him because it seems like <coughs> there's a huge communication gap between yeah. the management and the player. Mm. And I agree with what everyone's saying in terms of you can't treat everyone the same. That's that's unrealistic. Yeah, if you got the one of the best players in the history of the game playing for your club, whatever level he's at his career, if he's at the end of his career, that's fine. But still, he deserves some sort of respect in terms of listen. We're not going to start you today. Mm. This is why. I need you to do this. Yeah, if you're young and you're being developed, then sometimes you don't need an explanation. Mm. You need to develop into it like you're not the best. We need to work our way into the team. Mm. But if you've done it, you've done everything, mm. then there's some sort of like special treatment that he should get in terms of just communication. That's not even yeah. special treatment, just yeah. communication. He holds the most records in football. Yeah, I, I was reading some ridiculous stat that if Haaland... But yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Haaland if he wants to score as many goals as Ronaldo he would have to score 40 goals every season from now on for another 20 years or to yeah. number 20 season that is next level like Ronaldo we sometimes it's 38 games in the, in the, in the yeah. season so imagine 40 he's going to have to score 40 so it's, it just puts into perspective that how great of a player he was yeah. but we're just going to go to a short break and we'll be back with some more headlines you're listening to the voice of Islam radio Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. God is the light of the heavens and the earth. Every light that is visible on the heights or in the valleys, whether in souls or in bodies, whether personal or impersonal, whether apparent or hidden, whether in the mind or outside it, is a bounty of his grace. This is an indication that the general grace of the Lord of the Worlds envelops everything and nothing is deprived of that grace. He is the source of all grace, the ultimate cause of all lights and the fountainhead of all mercies. His being is the support of the universe and is the refuge of all high and low. He it is who brought everything out of the darkness of nothingness and bestowed upon everything the mantle of being. No other being than him is in himself present and eternal or is not the recipient of his grace. Earth and heaven, man and animals, stones and trees, souls and bodies have all come into existence by his grace. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Live. Now we're just going to continue with some of our new segments. And I actually found this interesting um, uh, article that I came across and I thought I'd discuss it with you, see what you guys' thoughts are. It's five popular first aid myths debunked. First aid? Yeah, so... 
And this is so true because when I read this, I was like, yeah, you know, whenever we feel that there's an issue, we go to Google, Dr. Google. And we feel so that. Do doctors, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> and then we feel that we've kind of mastered this art of I've like. I've got a controversial one. So, so I'll go through them and let's see what your thoughts are. But it's, it's so true, though. Sometimes we just think we know better. All right. The first one is you guys tell me if it's true or not, yeah? When you're doing CPR, you must do mouth to mouth. No. No. Don't need to. Have you guys read it this? It used book? to be, but they changed that. I think last uh, couple of years ago. Yeah. yeah. So technically, CPR can work just as effectively with chest compressions. Yeah. And I think with COVID, there was an, this whole thing that you can do it. So they've even got this like uh, not a pouch, but there's like a, a sheet that you can put <laughs> over the mouth. Now. <laughs> Have you not read this article? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. That was easy. All right. Next one. Next one. <laughs> <laughs> I, hope, I hope you guys no I think you'll know this one as well I feel like you lot have been on Google Arnica have you, cures everything have you not been on Google like? <laughs> have you not been studying Google properly alright you always have to use the Heimlich and uh, manoeuvre on no. your choking person no you don't no. I mean, right, explain it then have <laughs> oh, you been trained uh, have you been trained you can uh, bend the person forward and slap them on their back and that can help force it out as well Alright, so the explanation that the, <laughs> the explanation that's been given here is it's what level of choking is someone going oh, through. For okay. example, if someone goes kind of blue in the face and you can't find it difficult to breathe, then that so we're supposed works. to wait. No, but what, what, no, what I'm saying is, if someone if someone has something stuck in their throat, but they're still able to like talk, but you can tell they're struggling. Yeah. That doesn't require like that maneuver because that could make things worse. So again, it's like you said, a bit of a pat on the back. <laughs> pat on the back. <laughs> You're right, a, mate. You're right. right. <laughs> bit of a pat on the it. back. Uh, or no, actually, you should encourage the person to cough hard sometimes, yeah. or even drinking something that might help. We know someone who was choking. Well, I don't know if you were there at that dinner uh, during Amazon. A uh, gosh, our friend, he was choking. He actually was choking. And then we tried everything. You you might meet him soon. And he was choking really badly. And uh, you could actually see the pe- piece of meat in his like in his throat. No one knew what to do. Uh, Zar tried to do Zardesh, our friend, massive guy. He tried to do the Hamlet. It wasn't working. Uh, Naveed from East, again, we know him. Um, someone, at, I think it was him, said, just stick your fingers down your throat. And just stuck his fingers down your throat and it came out. And it was like a massive piece of meat. And you know, you get the muscle from, from the meat stuck to another piece of uh, meat. And it was that. It was just two pieces of meat. He needs meat. to chew when I see him. I tell him to chew more. And do you know what's crazy? After that, everyone just started carrying eating like it was <laughs> like nothing happened. All right, the next one. So that's two. Well done. You guys uh, are proving to be better medics. doctors. Better <laughs> medics than me. The third one is... And I can't believe this, but some people might actually think this is true. To spread butter on a burn. Sorry? No, <laughs> that's spread, no. no, but that's a myth. That's a myth. Yeah, of apparently, course it is. apparently, <laughs> apparently, when you get burnt, some people spread butter. Like, I don't know about butter, but I know what I I've do is like some toothpaste. Honey. I do toothpaste. Honey is make would make more sense because of its antiseptic properties. But thing is, with butter, they say you should never put butter on a burn, as it may trap heat into the skin. So in fact, it will make things worse. But for some reason, there's this myth that if you put if you get burnt, you should put butter on it. But I remember, I remember we used to put toothpaste on it, and that was quite cooling, actually. Yeah. I yeah. don't know if that's medically correct or not. All right, this is one. Um, when you're hyperventilating, does it help to breathe into a paper bag? Yes. What do you think? Mm, yeah. Why would you say that? 
Uh, I can't remember the actual reason. I think it's the because you've seen because you've seen Friends and they've done it once something. in Friends. So hyperventilation is rapid and deep breathing, often caused by anxiety, panic, or stress. And you may have heard that breathing into a paper bag method uh, is said to uh, regulate the oxygen flow in your body by mm. replacing the carbon dioxide lost. Yeah. Um, but this is. Not, not right. You oh, should okay. not do this. Actually, it can make things worse. Oh, the really? best way, yeah, the best way to help someone who is hyperventilating Stop is to them. remain calm and advise breathing through pursed lips. So just kind of breathe through um, in your nose, out your mouth, basically, to calm them down a bit. And the worst thing actually you could do yeah. is the the breathing into a bag, yeah, <clears throat> because um, it's yeah, it, it's just medically there's no. Evidence. I think it's again. I think this is one of those things that it shows. You see it on TV. I, I've seen a few movies and like a mm. series where they do this. It doesn't really help. <clears throat> but yeah, that that's um. There's you know on on, on uh, these smart watches now they've got this breathing thing that you can track your breathing um, and it helps slow down your breathing. My one of my um, in-laws, she was she's young, so she was hyperventilating, mm. and uh, they were told to just follow the breathing app on their phone, and that apparently calmed calmed them down. I think with with this kind of uh, breathing into a paper bag, it's most medical stu- studies um, today have concluded that this method is potentially dangerous and should be retired. The biggest problem with this method is that serious conditions such as asthma and heart attacks can have similar symptoms to that of hyperventilation. So in these cases, the paper bag method would likely harm or even kill someone from losing oxygen. So that's the kind of reason why not to. Okay. All right, yeah. so just more, like you said, focusing on breathing. Um, next one, last one. When you have a nosebleed, what's the first thing, first thing you should do? Pinch your nose. Um, lean forward. Good, yeah. I think a lot, a lot of people say you should lean back. Mm-hmm. You should tilt your head back when you're nosebleed. It's natural, just to kind of you think maybe it'll stop the flow mm. of the blood, but actually, uh, that shouldn't. That you should not do that. Um, I think I'm ready to be a medic now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what they say. Um, so not only could tilting your head back cause blood to enter the digestive tract and cause nausea, but the sufferer also risks swallowing and choking on blood. So that's why you mm. shouldn't. Um, lean backwards a much safer idea as you mentioned is to tilt the head forward into a tissue or a sink for 10 minutes or uh, gently pinch uh, the nostrils as, as Shum said but I remember once actually I've witnessed this as well when one of our friends he had a nosebleed like randomly nothing happened and uh, someone else very quickly came in like who's <laughs> another student was just came in and put it like tilted him over into a sink but started pouring cold water like really cold water on his neck and apparently that's the nerves somehow they're linked to your neck and if you freeze them it hopefully stops the blood really and it worked like after a few minutes he's can I say my like controversial myth is it medical it's medical yeah <laughs> and uh, so far you've could re- be... so far you've maintained your dignity <laughs> I could and lose it, seems, it all right and now. it seems as if you could know a lot of these things are missing. kicked so, out of this show. Yeah, yeah, so. But <clears throat> I, I, I do believe there's some truth in this. Um, now, when I ask you this, I, I know what your first answer is going to be, I, I reckon. Okay. But after an injury, any injury, sprain, whatever, do you think it's better to heat or to ice? Instantly. Yeah. Ice. Shops. Ice. Why? From what I've been told, because it dep- actually depending on the injury. No, say it's a like sprain. A sport, just say it's yeah. a sprain. If it's yeah. a muscle injury, yeah, muscle injury. So you've sprained a muscle. 
Yeah, ice. Ice. Why? Because uh, I would have thought if there's a tear, or let's just say I've pulled a muscle, mm-hmm. I've pulled my hamstring, for example, um, if I ice it and then wrap it. No, so there's a process. I remember the process is called rice. Rice, rest, yeah, so rest incline, ice, compress, compress elevate. Yeah. elevate yeah. So I've, I've always done that and it's always seemed to work. That's why I've just always followed that. <laughs> what, what's, I just yeah. told you. I just told you the medical term is called rice. <laughs> That's a medical term. Is that um, not the medical term? I don't actually medically know why, but yeah. yeah uh, so one, whenever I've been injured, that's helped me. Yeah. Um. And yeah, doesn't it? Doesn't it uh, assist with recovery <clears throat> as well? So um, <clears throat> that's why footballers and sports. Yeah. You're gonna say heat, but there's no medical backing to it. <laughs> that's what's about to happen basically but wait no listen get to your listen, point bro yeah, you're listen, taking but listen, but listen but listen so firstly like I remember about maybe 10-11 years ago I really badly sprained my ankle yeah I come home and my mum first was like no you have to put heat on it put heat on it yeah and I was like bro what are you talking about and my sister-in-law she was fresh from Pakistan yeah she actually started putting <laughs> yeah. she actually warmed up some olive oil yeah and some turmeric in the pan in the pan got some cotton uh, pads put them on the oil with the turmeric and put them on my ankle I'm thinking what is going on my my, my ankle I've sprained my ankle it's a muscle injury I need to ice it they're like no 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 listen this is how we've been doing it for centuries yeah this is how it's done now recently I sprained my neck as well uh, last week, and uh, my wife was saying, "Yeah, you have to put you have to he- put heat on it. This is what we've been doing in our culture in Jerusalem for centuries. This is how it's done." And I was like, actually reading up on it. And now ice, why ice is given initially is to reduce pain. So okay. what they say is to reduce the pain. So basically, when you have an injury, naturally yeah, what it happens? Numbs it. Ice numbs it. Yeah. So yeah. it numbs it. But what they say is <clears throat> wherever you look online, when they say ice it is to purely just to reduce the pain and um, the swelling yeah and then after a few days they say put heat on it so naturally what happens in your body after an injury is there's a lot of blood flow to that area but the purpose of blood flow to that area is to increase exactly to heal it is to increase the white blood cells in the area white blood cells is for uh, repairing it so yeah ice for quicker healing heat would probably be better because it will increase the blood flow to the area yeah. and increase the repair. But yeah. pure ice is purely just to slow down the pain. Yeah. So I, I remember actually someone even saying to me it should be um, kind of alternating from ice, heat, heat, ice, heat, cold, heat, cold, heat, cold therapy. And apparently, really? apparently that helps. <clears throat> if there's any medic listening that's just had a good laugh, please um, <laughs> call in. And no, that's us. my thing now. I've actually, yeah. and I've actually no, have been using I need to get heat. that recipe. Was it? You said it was olive oil and uh, Olive oil turmeric. and turmeric, yeah. Mixed it in a pan. In a pan. And I remember, I was like, we like, didn't cook in my foot. <laughs> And did it work? Uh, I think it healed around the same time. I was young then, so I was healing pretty quickly. But yeah, even right now, you know what? I'll, I'll tell you one other thing because you mentioned neck, yeah. So mm. um, I started exercising again, and normally again, there we go. <laughs> no, I started exercising <laughs> again, but one of one of like when you start after a long time, for me, I normally tend to get like pains in my shoulders or neck, and yeah. that's just because obviously it's been a time a long while. So what the person I was going to gym with, he said that. You know when you clinch your fist, yeah. in between your knuckles, he goes that you should, if you ever get neck pain or like shoulder pain, s- massage that for like a good 30, 40 seconds. No, but listen, let me finish. He goes, massage it because the nerves are connected. 
And then after you've massaged it for about a minute, then start like moving and stretching your neck and then keep going. So I started getting that pain and I started doing it. And honestly, it helped. That's like when they say pinch your pink pinky finger and you'll lose weight or no, something. But I use, no, no, come on. No, no one's ever said that. No one's ever said there, that. There is a, there no, is a practice. How, um, we do have nerves that are connected to other parts of the body. Yeah. So do, I'm I just saying, like, that. I've had, like, there's been, there's been some exercises that I've been doing, and during the exercise, I thought, oh my God, my neck now, is, oh, I'm feeling it. I've sat down and spent a good three, four minutes massaging, like, in between my knuckles and then stretching my neck, and I've been fine. Um, and whereas previously, if, if I've pulled my neck muscle or something, I'm mm. out for like a week. So it's um, that's something I learned. Again, it might not be medically like proven. <laughs> Shams is just in the studio holding his pinky. <laughs> but there is, Shams, there is that is definitely a myth. Holding your pinky does not help you. But that, there is actually a practice where they, they. I agree. Obviously, nerves are connected everywhere. But there, are, there is a practice. I've forgotten the name of it. But they say if you press or massage or pinch certain parts of your hand or your feet or your body then it will help improve other like you can clear your nasal passage by mm. pressing certain parts of your hand there's even one way if you rub your fingernails together your, your hair your hair will grow back are you serious and I know there's a family <laughs> me and Chances both started doing it at the same time there was a family member that every time I saw him he would just be doing this and I was like your, your hair isn't growing back just leave it god that's um but <clears throat> yeah, I think with yeah, these things I don't know I think the human body the way God's created us is such an amazing like it's so amazing sometimes how we can just heal ourselves and all of these that's things what I'm saying, just put heat on man just heat is what you need heat is what you need we're reaching the <clears throat> end of the first part of our show uh, when we come back in the second half we will be moving to our main topic which is youth engagement this was inspired by Shumps Najem <laughs> Uh, so we're hoping that he has a lot of interesting things to say to lead this conversation but we will be joined by some guest callers on the show who will just help us uh, discuss through their experiences working in uh, youth uh, the youth industry whether it's uh, within the community or externally as professionals but we will be discussing how to engage youth in these these weird weird but kind of I would say weird times in the sense that we've come out of lockdown mm. and we've seen a change in behavior and what can actually attract a youth compared to like five to ten years ago. But we're going to get into that after the break. We're just going to go for a short news break. Join us after the break. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Live. It is a live and interactive show. As we mentioned, we're now going to go into the second part of our show which is youth engagement. We do want you to be involved. It is your show. We want you to have your say. 0208-687-7878-0208-687-7878. But before we go into the topic, it's important we mention, because we got in a bit of trouble, but it's a disclaimer, <laughs> that we were talking about five medical myths, um, things that people assume uh, that they should do if they're going through some sort of medical uh, emergency. And then that led on to Mudabba giving us his false uh, experiences. It's actually scientific. But, no, information actually, and scientific. Listen, yeah. listen. We're trying information to debunk. Is there? <laughs> we're trying to debunk. The, we're we're very cautious of the fact that someone tuned in and halfway, halfway through our discussion. <laughs> they're making a mix. We're, yeah, oil no, and turmeric. But, yeah, we're we're cautious. We, obviously, we don't want people to think that we're here giving medical advice, which isn't the case. We were just talking about five <laughs> myths. And if ever you are going through some sort of medical difficulty, then it is important that you contact your GP or a medical professional. And if you hear this rubbings of nails 
that's because Shams honestly has been <laughs> still trying. waiting for hair to grow back. <laughs> still waiting for his hair to grow back. All right, so we're going to go to the next part of our show, which is youth engagement. So why, I guess the first question to ask is, how did this topic come about? Why are we picking this topic to talk about? I think, yeah, so I think the topic is, um, so youth disengagement. I think um, us as a community, this is something very sort of important to us, um, both in terms of religious disengagement, but also part of society uh, and, um, you know, what, you know, we're lucky enough to be part of a community that has so much to help keep youth engaged. But then we were just, you know, just thinking about sort of the wider, especially over the last few years with the pandemic and, you know, the Gen Z and Gen Y, whatever is the new generations coming up, yeah. all, it seems as if like, it seems as if, you know, youth are... Um, or, or, or basically, we wanted to discuss what would make a youth disengaged, <coughs> and, and they could be disengaged for, from various areas. It could be, you know, educational disengagement, or just generally. Um, but it felt like if it was like you know the current climate we're in, which is the recession, um, university over the last few years has been sort of home learning type. Mm. Um, there's been less social activity. Um, Everyone can work from home these days, but also, you know, we're going through fi financial turbulence at the moment. Um, can the, you know, our youth are up and coming, can they really find the jobs they want? And then there's a the political disengagement. Do we really trust our political sort of um, system now and, and our leaders? So it's just like a variety of areas that sort of I'd been thinking about. Um, Hence why I sort of mentioned, well, you're blaming me for picking the topic. But <laughs> no, no, it's a, it's a great topic. <laughs> but, but that's why, there was, you know, there's various areas to discuss. Um, and we do have some, um, you know, some guys joining us on, on, on the call a little bit later yeah. who sort of oversaw some of these departments within the community, at least, um, and, and, and various ways of engaging um, the I, youth. But, I yeah, think it's... it's you, a, obviously, as an imam, must... It's, must it's a, such an important topic. Yeah. And I think it, um, the saying of the second caliph of our community, um, it really puts things into perspective. And I think now more than ever, you see how important that is when he says that you cannot reform a nation until you reform its youth. Yeah, And you only understand that hmm. once you take a step back and look at society as a whole, that where are we going and what are we doing for our future? Uh, and when we talk about future, we don't mean selfless in terms of like what selfish in terms of just what am I doing for my future and my family, but do we are we leaving the next generation better off than we were? And does by better off does that mean just more money, or by can we talk about moral compass and you know behavior and etiquettes and general respect and loyalty? These kind of hallmarks of what can define an individual. Society. Do we see that? in our next generation if not then what's causing them to be disengaged because i feel before before you were when you were talking and when you were giving an introduction i thought is there one reason uh, no, that could fit into be. or i think there is really? and i think we'll end yeah. we'll end with that point though that one, i think one core reason okay, there yeah, is yeah. yeah but i think in each subheading of politics education religion whatever it is there are different experiences and different distractions uh, that can disengage um, youth, but not just youth as well. I guess even mature adults, depending on their experiences, can be disengaged. But I think talking about the youth, 100%, I feel that um, there are different things that can cause them to kind of move away. 
Well, <coughs> yeah, I mean, working within sort of the healthcare and looking at some of the kids that, you know, come from difficult backgrounds and sort of abused backgrounds, um, it's, it's very difficult to try and find these sort of isolation markers, like what is it um, that's making them yep. um, disengage, but sometimes very difficult to re-engage them back into education, back into... They, they've developed a fear of education, and that could be through sort of mental health issues. Um, it could be through sort of some sort of past trauma. But I think, like, the angle that I'm kind of trying to, trying to look at it is... I'm trying to look at sort of growing up, sort of in my era growing up, we didn't have some of these... Well, we had computer games, but it wasn't like, you know... Um, like you have them now, like your phone can basically be your PlayStation. You can, you know, even having a phone. Yeah. Um, it's weird because we're talking about disengagement, but I think we're in a period of, of our lives where we've never been more connected because we yeah. have our phones, yeah. WhatsApp, messaging. We're always connected, but are we actually engaged in, you know, the? Are we engaging in anything productive, really? Um, you know, in as I said in, in I say my time as if it was a long time ago but you know going out and playing or meeting friends that was the norm I don't feel like well, actually, that actually I'll tell you what something I experienced yesterday <clears throat> which was a bit worrying for me um, so we so I, I cover Wandsworth area as an imam and obviously we, there's a very historic mosque in that area the Fuzzle Mosque was the first mosque in London built in 1924 so yesterday we arranged and we're going to continue to arrange like World Cup viewings uh, interesting match or whenever England plays so yesterday it was England versus um, England versus uh, what uh, USA yeah. and we arranged for like the our children who we normally hold classes for to watch the game and uh, we didn't tell the kids we thought as they come we'll let them know now 99% of the kids were very excited like, yeah, let's watch the game there was one or two who said to me is it alright if I go home I was like well, what's happened he goes I'd just rather play Playstation Mm, literally said wow. that to me. and that for me was like I didn't I didn't say no I said of course you, yeah, you can yeah. but like we obviously we're all here together it would be good to see he goes no no I'd rather play and I've got homework as well but I knew in his mind it was Friday night he must probably play PlayStation <laughs> so that for me was keeping in mind what you said very important but we have a caller on the line now but we're going to talk more about from a religious point of view uh, what is youth engagement what work we go through when it comes to engaging our youth to our religious practices and I believe we have Mr. Adik on the line. Adik, can you hear me? Assalamu alaikum. I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much. I know you are very busy, it won't be a long interview, but thank you for joining us. I believe um, if I just introduce Mr. Adik, Adik is serving as the National well-being i don't know if it's officer or uh, what's the director of well-being uh, you can you can call it whatever you like man don't yeah. <laughs> so i believe you're serving as the national director of um well-being for our youth how's that been for you so how long have you been serving in this role and have you seen uh because i believe you were in this role prior to covid yes yes so this is my fourth year now this is your fourth year so um, pri prior yeah. to covid and now post covid and lockdown has the has it been different challenges in terms of engaging the youth? Has it been easier, harder? I think it's been I think it's been harder. I think um, pre-COVID we had specific challenges, um, but we knew what they were. So kids wanted to kind of go out and 
have fun and enjoy themselves. So we could put on activities such as sports. Yep. You know, football was a massive kind of driver in getting a lot of these kids um, highly engaged. We also started to organise things with other communities. So with churches, we had like kind of football tournaments with them to again drive higher engagement and get the boys back involved from the religious perspective. But after COVID, what we realised is actually, you know, the game has changed dramatically. And what I mean by that is essentially... Um, you know, two years of being inside, a lot of these kids started to kind of get into gaming, playing PlayStation, social media became even more kind of uh, prominent for these kids as well. So our approach has had to kind of be, be a lot different, I would say, actually this year and last year as well, where actually our bigger focus now is, okay, look, they don't actually, they're not that interested in maybe going out and hanging yeah. around with their friends. It's a lot more insular. So how do we now get these guys to not come off gaming? Because it's very difficult to kind of do that in one hit. But actually get them to go, do you know what, actually I want to go out and I want to do something else as well, I want to do something external. So that's been our biggest challenge is how do we get these guys out of their houses, out of their bedrooms, and get them kind of just speaking and meeting other boys again. Um, you mentioned that there, you know, there were certain challenges that you were aware of pre-COVID and maybe post-COVID. It's not as easy to sort of decipher what those challenges are. What were the challenges pre-COVID in terms of um, disengagement? It's normal stuff. It's, the, the reality is the world is a very exciting place, hmm. right, for, for everyone. And us, us alike, you know, we've all been for our own journey. You know, you've got, um, you know, if you're at school, you've got your schoolmates that are doing whatever they're doing. They may not have uh, a religious background, so they're kind of just focusing on the worldly perspective, whereas our kids, you know, we need to kind of keep that religious element intact in, in as well. As soon as you start getting to university, then the world opens up even more. There's more freedom, you know, you're kind of free mixing you're meeting other people um, and then you start working and then you start getting money and mm. that's when the game massively changes when actually your freedom kind of increases and now you're like okay do you know what I want more money I want to grow I want to get up the ladder I want to make more more and that's where the challenges come from so each of those different tiers challenges has their own being individual a, challenge at that point you're basically saying that as as they sort of drive more towards the material sort of um, things in life, they they detach themselves from sort of spirituality and and that sort of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly okay. that. Exactly. And that's the, that's that's the hardest part is spirituality is sometimes not tangible, yeah. whereas the world is. And how do we then now actually go? Do you know what? We need to kind of show them why spirituality is so important and why it can actually give them what they want in the world as well. So has it? So so actually, just on that. Um, has it been easier to highlight the sort of importance of spirituality once, you know, post-COVID or, or during COVID because of the fact that, yes, you know, in one sense, there's probably more disengagement because people are not leaving their homes and, you know, we've seen a, a rise in sort of mental health issues and, and, and the isolation and loneliness. But on the other side, it has there been an opportunity to actually really now highlight the benefits of being part of a community, being part of this spiritual, you know, a spiritual family and being, um, you know, on, on, on that road towards sort of finding, finding God and, and that? Absolutely. I think look, that the, with all the challenges that have occurred post-COVID, during COVID, there's been a huge amount of positives as well. You know, two, two, two years of kind of COVID, you know, we were driving and doing a lot of activities and what I think people started to realise actually is there's more to this life than just the world. And people actually themselves wanted to go and find out more things. They wanted to be educated more from a religious perspective. They wanted to understand more about their religion, about God, about 
why I do what I do and why should I believe in this specific um, um, focus as well. So actually, you know, being at home with your family, you know, praying five times a day together as a family, we started to notice that actually there was a lot of the, the, the lads as well started to learn themselves. They just started to pick up books as well. Yeah. So yes, as I say, there's been challenges, you know, with a lot of these boys now are more insular, they're maybe a bit more introvert, they want to stay in, but actually their understanding and education of their religious practices have have actually increased significantly compared to pre-COVID. Salamatik, uh, quick question from me. I know you're, um, you, you need to bounce. Um, we, we haven't used uh, the term youth empowerment yet, which I think is an important term to use when we're talking about engagement or disengagement. So what uh, you've mentioned some stuff already but what can we what's being done at the moment in the community to empower the youth a huge amount i think look we we've been we've been empowering the youth since they were 15 years old as soon as they come to the the age where they reach the organization that i kind of look after and what i mean by that essentially is is that their training and development starts from 15 so you know we do a lot of stuff in the community around kind of uh, well-being, so going out, feeding the homeless, um, going to kind of old people's houses and just talking to them and showing them a bit of love, hospital visits where we go out. And you know, so this is all training for these individuals of that age. And then yeah. there's loads of other stuff that these, these, these youth are also doing in terms of career development, for example. So they all are trained to run their own projects, manage their own projects. You know, we have these events, um, organizations where at the age of 15, 16, 17, you know, you're challenged to stand up in front of an audience of, 100 people give speeches now when you look at these youth at that age though there's a bit nervousness and they're a bit you know a bit hesitant but when you look at them in their working life they are far more competent than maybe other people out there you know we've empowered them to believe in themselves to give them that confidence that actually they can achieve and do anything they want to do and that training has essentially started from the age of 15. yeah Atik, thank you so much for your time um we really appreciate you coming on we know that you're you just mentioned events. One of the events actually you're preparing for and you're going to is is a National Sports Day in Bradford, I believe. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. Uh, again, that's yeah. just another example of um, engagement in terms of getting together uh, for for different causes. But thank you so much for your time. God bless you. And no may God be with you in your journeys. No worries. Cheers, guys. Thanks a lot. Cheers. One thing I noticed about Mudabar, before we move on, is when we were talking about medical myths, he turned into a medical expert. <laughs> and when talking about youth engagement, he started using language like, you need to bounce. <laughs> so I like I it. I like a typical term now. But anyway. Mo's a chameleon. Mo's a, yeah, no, I like how you kind of you um, can, uh, connect with everyone. But no, I was, was going to say one thing, actually, one thing that crossed my mind is re- with religious engagement and disengagement, let's say, you can say why someone might um, <clears throat> go through different phases is because there are so many distractions, especially now, like you mentioned, like maybe 15 years ago, the only access to the internet was the one computer or the one laptop you had at home. Now everyone has that in the in the palm of their hands. So there are so many distractions. And I think also your society makes a huge impact on your religious kind of engagement because yes, it's all good and well in your homes, your parents preaching or you being taught something or even learning about something and when you step outside of that environment in schools there's so many different people who are doing <coughs> potentially something that you've been told that's wrong they're doing that they've been told that yeah we can do it there's no issue with it so there are so many that distractions or so many different reasons to why there might be 
disengagement and we believe one tool um, as Adik mentioned was prayer and it's something that from the age of seven that we start teaching our children to pray five times a day and that five that prayer is acts like a shield in terms of that we're only in control of our own actions and in this world you realize very quickly that you can't control other people's actions or their speech or what they say or what they think about you you can only control yourself then knowing that there's this shield in terms of prayer that you have that protects you from hopefully any bad or ill intentions or even that is not necessary that would always protect you but it allows you to deal with those situations and those difficulties that is the most comforting thing knowing that this life isn't really our final destination and our, we have a bigger picture and a bigger goal to achieve I feel like with, with religion that's one of the ish, not issues but that's one of the challenges yeah. you would face with engagement but this is the point I wanted to make and again I'm just thinking about myself that when it, you mentioned political disengagement from a youth point of view do you feel political disengagement has a um, connection with how educated you are and I say that the example um, I use is because, for example, okay, I'll give my own example. I'm not the most educated. Growing up, I was very uh, struggled in my studies. But I also, now I think about it, I've never really cared for politics. I've never got involved. As much as I do now, like I'm interested, I'm 32 yeah. years old, so now I have a bit more interest. I want to know what's happening in our country. But up until the age of 25, to be honest, I could care less what was happening in the country or what politics, who was running it, what party was running it. But I sometimes just think, just thinking out loud, I'm thinking whether that has a link with how educated you are. No, I don't think it does because, no, because, I mean, again, I'm not going to say I was the most educated, um, but I was doing all right. But even for me, I, I wasn't too involved in politics or even interested in politics up until just after university, so maybe 21, 22 uh, during that time, my thought of politics was these guys don't care about us. Like, I'm not going to bother. Like, how does it? My my thing was how does it directly impact me? Impact me. Yeah. yeah. And at that time, when you're young, when you know your focuses are potentially somewhere else, or you don't think of the bigger picture, or you're not foreseeing the future, or you're not thinking about the future. Even you don't think, okay, these people, the government, uh, government officials, or parliamentarians, or whoever, whatever they implement now. You don't think that they're going to make a change to your life potentially in the future, and we, we've seen that it has. But it's not something you think about. But to be fair, we do. We we did see um, nationwide actually, when especially when the Iraq War was happening, or before the Iraq War. I don't know if your schools did this, but my school caused an uproar, a massive uproar when they decided to go to war. Students were running around in the in in the playground with placards, "Stop the war! Stop the war!" They were, honestly, we got into a lot of trouble for for a lot of people. It was just it was just like uh, excitement, like "Oh, what's happening over here?" They want to run out of classes and stuff. But there were a lot of people that were engaged um, in politics. But uh, yeah, I think it's a bit. Of a... I, I think the biggest driving factor behind uh, political disengagement for the youth for the youth is the behaviour and actions of our politicians. 100%, yeah. I think growing up, if you're, especially now, I suppose, this is the probably the period where most people are more politically aware, especially now that we've gone through the COVID because all you were watching on TV was the, the daily updates 
from the prime minister, the health minister, and and you know the, these up. So people <coughs> probably were forced to sort of um, see some of these things. But what what I mean by disengagement is that if they're if they're seeing sort of you know the issues in um, in our society now we can see the recession we can see some of the dis- political decisions that have been taken we can see like so, you know we can see the way parties are sort of you know even sort of kind of berate each other and and the deception something we mentioned earlier um i think that's probably that's probably a big reason as to why and then and then you have this wokeism culture isn't it that we yeah. that we're we're kind of living in now this this woke generation where where it's all of a sudden aware of the mishaps and the atrocities and the... Um, <clears throat> I think... <clears throat> so I think it's probably... It's more the political system itself, which is probably the reason for, for disengagement. But also, yeah, again, that comes down to trust in the system, right? But just going further than that, like... If we're... Sorry, I, I'll, I'll, make, I'll let you make your point about... Poli- poli- yeah, I was going to say, you, you made a good point about... Yeah, it was on the news a lot uh, regarding COVID and whatever updates, general updates. But I think what happened during COVID, especially with some of the scandals, I think that would cause further disengagement. You'd see a lot of behaviour, and you mentioned that right at the beginning, actually, actions and behaviours of our politicians. And I don't believe that how the how they behaved during um, the COVID uh, pandemic, you know, whether they they behaved morally, rightfully. Some of them even broke the law, mm. breaking the um, yeah. lockdown rules, etc. I think that would cause a lot more disengagement. But okay, saying that, then here's my point to what you just said. So, for example, uh, one individual, Matt Hancock. Yeah, big role in the, everything that's happened hmm. was in the news for the wrong reasons as well. Now he's on this. I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. Yeah. And he's doing pretty well. And in fact, pretty like, well. How? What, what is it? Pretty, well pretty well means like now they're at a stage where every every day someone is leaving the show. Okay. And that's decided on the basis of votes. So if you're public. watching public, okay. you vote for the person that you want to save. Okay. So a lot of popular people, celebrities. Mm-hmm are now leaving and he's still there really and that has caused a huge debate that listen on one side we have these feelings for him because of what he did or whatever it is yeah. and on the other side his engagement with the public now it seems like he's doing really well because he's doing well in the show but it's, it's just difficult in terms of when I say engagement like I know those things put us off yeah. but you put that same person or these same politicians in a different environment and all of a sudden maybe the engagement could change <laughs> I think we've uh, got our next call on the line before we continue our conversation. I'd just like to j- introduce Mr. Zan Khan, um, who, when he was a member of the youth community... He's a legend in the game. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't mean to say this to sound, make him sound old, but when he was a member in the youth organization, he served in a number of different capacities. He was also a local youth leader, a regional youth leader, and again, in his time, also served as a national... Uh, the National Director of the Wellbeing mm-hmm. within the youth of our community in the UK. Mr. Zan Khan, assalamu alaikum. Thank you so much for joining us. Awesome, guys. Thank you for having me. Do you, do, you like, do you like our introduction? Uh, I'm, I'm totally undeserving of such an introduction. <laughs> if, if anyone really knew me, they'd be thinking, that wasn't that guy. <laughs> no, no. No, actually, I remember the, re- uh, the reason I gave you that introduction is because, um, well, and obviously we've got a lot of love and respect for you, but when I was growing up, I remember when I was um, early on in my youth days, uh, you were one of the kind of um, role models and uh, members that I would always see at the forefront of trying to 
develop this youth engagement. So I guess that the first question I have for you is, um, being that you're a father now and your children are in the next maybe 10 years will be going through these same challenges. What was it for, what were the challenges in that, those days? I think when I say those days, I don't mean it wasn't too long ago. It was maybe up to 10 years ago you were serving in this position in terms of trying to engage youth to come to kind of uh, religious programs or religious functions. No, generally, it wasn't just about their religious well-being that you were concerned about. It was generally their well-being. So what were the challenges then that you see compared to the challenges now? There's a lot of parallels, to be honest. Um, I, th- I think uh, one of the key things we used to have in those days was a lack of engagement, just people generally not coming out of the house. Lethargy, um, a lack of energy, a lack of uh, desire to kind of come out and join in the various activities that we do. So I think that's not really changed. Um, if anything, that's just supercharged now with the kind of post-COVID environment that we live in, with everyone used to lockdowns and all that. Um, but in those days, it used to be really, how do we kind of get these guys engaged? How do we get them out into all the various activities that we've got going on? How can we make them interested? Because you know when you get them out, they'll enjoy it. But it's yeah. just a matter of how do you actually get them out? So th- I think that was the biggest challenge that we had. Um, and again, I, I don't think the fundamentals have changed since then and now. I think the key then and the key now is still getting into the hearts of people yeah. and building those friendships. Um and not treating a lot of business. So, you know, techniques might change over time, um, but generally it's always the same thing. How do you get into the heart of that individual? How can I make that person my friend and genuinely do it? Don't do it just for the sake of, right, you know, I need to get this guy and, and tick a box and, and put yeah. a report in. Yeah. How do yeah. I really care for this individual and get that person in? I think those fundamentals don't change. When, again, things were slightly different. When I was younger, it was, you know, people told you what to do. You know, it was, <laughs> you guys might even remember those days where it was just... You told us what why to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that, man. Don't say that. But it, it, was, it was that case. It was very much do as you're told. And it mm, was discipline yeah. and there was a chain of command. And it was like, if you didn't listen to your teacher in the, in the masjid, you know, in the mosque, they'll tell your parents. And your t- parents would sure, sure tell you that you need to listen to that guy and get in. But things have changed slightly now. Um... But even then, there was exceptions. Like, I remember the way I was brought in uh, by my local guys. In, you know, I'm sure you guys were brought in by various individuals, but my local chapter leader, his name was Shaquille. And the way he connected with me was, again, I was in a totally different phase of life, not involved in the community that much. But, you know, we became like friends. He cared about things that mattered in my life and talked to me as a person about what made me tick, what were the things I was going through in life, what were the kind of challenges I had. And it was never about kind of, you know, come to the mosque and do this, come and do that. It was more like, I'm coming to your house, let's just have a chat, let's have a chai, come to my house, let's go out, go grab a bite. And I think that's something I, you know, that I try to use, and I'm sure they use it still now as well, and that really, really makes a difference. And I know, uh, Osman, I know you do stuff like that, and, you know, various other individuals do as well, I think. So, so the, the ways and means might change, but fundamentals are still the same. I, I remember you were one of the drivers behind sort of the roadshow that um, we done a few years back now, which was question time. And um, mm-hmm. one of the themes of sort of this was, well, question time was basically an opportunity for the youth to come forward and ask questions um, that they wouldn't necessarily ask, or just an opportunity for people to, you know, collaboratively talk and discuss um, various sort of issues within within society, and 
I remember um, one of the themes was always, it seemed as if there was this battle between, and I'm talking sort of more so within the community now of, you know, this spirituality, but also maintaining or keeping up with society at the same time and, mm. and, and trying to balance the two. And do you think that that pressure um, is still there um, or if anything has increased for our youth to, you know, who who we may, you know, not not intentionally label, but we may say, oh, yeah, you know, they're not as engaged or we would like them to be more engaged. But there's this massive challenge behind that or massive pressure behind that where they're trying to go to school, they're trying to live live a life um, in this country, but at the same time they've got, you know, this religious responsibility and, and just the pressure between the two. Yeah, I think, I think that you, you hit the nail on the head, that tension still exists. If, if anything, I think it's, accelerated somewhat and I think mm. it's worth the listeners knowing that that initiative question time actually started from Shumps himself so it was an initiative I remember in East that came down Shumps just bigging himself up really <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I remember going down to East and there was this event going and I was like what is this this is incredible and we lifted and shifted that across the country and it was great and it was essentially like you said it was, you know in an Asian community you know there's a lot of taboos um, a lot of things that you you think you shouldn't be speaking about, hmm. and you think they might be un-Islamic to talk about them, but you know it, it couldn't be further from the truth. As I think as long as it's addressed in a mature manner and in the right environment, I think it's it's very healthy to discuss those kind of topics. But but yeah, no. So coming back to your question, Shams, so I think it, it's it's definitely right. There is that tension between what people want to be and what people believe they should be, hmm. and I think that's accelerated now due to social media as well. So you've got all these pressures of Instagram and TikTok and you've got these people living the perfect life. You've got them kind of, you know, on the beach, they're driving their Bentleys, they're kind of, you know, but at the same time, they're going for the mustard and doing this. It's kind of, that kind of life is not sustainable. It's just not even possible. So, you know, you might have one in a billion people that's doing that, but it's just people are trying to live up to a very unrealistic ideal. Um, so it, it, it is tough, it is tough, and I think it's just about meeting people where they are on, the, on their level uh, and not kind of trying to make them into something they're not. So, And I think that's something we've got to remember as well, that we don't want to take away their individual identity as well because they might be trying to... They might be different to you and I. Everyone's different, right? Mm-hmm. And we've got to help them on their journey and say, that's your journey, that's fine. But there's one common thread that's common between all of us, and that's Islam. Um, and you can be black, yellow, blue, whatever colour you might be, right? But and you can dress in a certain way. There's different cultures, there's different, you know, habits in Islam. But the core tenets of Islam will remain the same. And I think it's about kind of marrying that tension between the two, um, which is often, you know, it's easier said than done. But I think the best way is just through dialogue, really, and and speaking to people, and understanding, and trying to give them an option, and trying to see that not every Muslim is the same. You can be as you want. You know, you come as you are, but you can still be that Muslim. Thank you so much for your time, uh, Zan. We really appreciate it. And um, we haven't actually seen each other in a long time. Hopefully we can catch up properly in person as well. But no, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate yeah, it. Have a nice you. day. Take care. Thank uh, you. That was, um, it's so true. I think with, with, with when it comes to engagement, I remember there was, especially religious engagement. It is, like Zan said, it's... Um, Come as you are, like you're, you'll be accepted. But I think the real challenge is, from our point of view, like from from the from the individual's point of view, it's like yeah, you're being approached and you're saying yeah, come as you are. But it's not just 
for the sake of it seems as if he's now coming it's also educating them and leading by example and I think this is the one thing that wins hearts that when you practice what you preach wholeheartedly not just in times of uh, good times but also in difficult times when the odds are against you everything is against you and you're still sticking by what your religion teaches you and you're sticking by you're being patient you're having trust and they see that I think that's what wins people's hearts there's different things that wins people's hearts you know, but that, that for me <clears throat> is, is a huge thing and I, I can only give one example I remember there was one individual who I only got to know really through football um, by going to like our community as a club team we go to we think to go to that game today as well to watch um, but I used to regularly go watch before um, and obviously the people that were there the youth that were playing they knew that I was a local an imam a young imam at the time but anyway long story short I remember there was this one uh, individual who really kind of um, used to lose it quite quickly get really angry really quickly uh, and I think on this one occasion he was subject to some racism uh, and he it wasn't just by the players it was also by the ref so I remember after the game he was so upset that he didn't stay for anything he just picked up his bag and he started walking off and I started following him and he said to me look don't follow me don't follow me I was like well what's happened he goes no I'm, I'm gonna go find the ref and sort him out don't follow me and I, don't stop me I was like no no I said I'll go with you you might need help I just said it like that and he just looked at me when I said that he kind of calmed his mood down a bit but he said no 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 okay that's fine let's go let's both go thankfully the ref had gone <laughs> so he, like, he did like a search in the car park and then he sat down uh, and I, I still I'm never going to forget this he sat down and he just broke down and he just uh, so emotional in the sense that you know like he goes my whole life I've been faced with racism and it's always stopped me from like progressing in this particular field and I just like now like I'm in my 30s I just don't want to stand for it no more like I just feel that but when I was a young I just had no choice just keep quiet keep it now anyway, but that connection we had enabled me to really um, or both of us that that incident allowed both of us to kind of trust in each other okay regardless of what happens we can. there's always someone I can talk to so uh, it's really important I think these things just yeah I, just going back to some things um, Zan said I was lucky enough to go on some of these um, question times question times that were, were held across the country and it, it, often there were questions and, 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 and Zan kind of mentioned this identity crisis like we don't want to create you know, um, we don't want people to lose their identity. Um, but often, with you know, there'll be, there'll be questions around. You know, I'm at university and I see everyone else around me. Um, they may be drinking, they're doing this and doing that. And obviously, from an Islamic point of view, you know, you you know, we 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 are allowed to sort of engage with this society up until where it sort of infringes on our sort of uh, spiritual path. But a lot of the youth. I feel were growing up with this identity crisis because they didn't know which way to follow. Right um, on on one end, they've been brought up by their sort of society in school, where everything is open, everything is allowed, anything goes. And you come home, and your parents are like, "Actually, no, this isn't allowed." And yeah. you know, even you know, if you you know, you have but to dress different, I, and it and I, it does I, create I feel the crisis. But I feel yeah. the crisis comes is when you come home and there's no explanation. So yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what it is. And I think with our parents, because one thing that 
for example, you won't have this issue with your children because there's no language barrier. And I think with a lot of our youth, they would always say this, that when we would ask them that, have you spoken to your parents? Mm. He'd be like, oh, I don't, I've never, we don't speak about this. There's a language barrier. Like my, my Urdu. So for example, a lot of our people who come from Pakistan, they speak Urdu. So the children learn it as well. Mm. But they, their level of Urdu maybe is not as good. <coughs> parents' level of English is not as good. So there is that kind of, well, do this because we're telling you. And that's how their parents told them. But mm. the difference is, and I always say this, that when our parents grew up in Pakistan, they grew up where if they're told to do something at home, the society is trying to do that same thing. Like when they go to schools, when they there's go no out, conflict. there's no conflict. Mm. So for a parent just to say, do this because you're doing it, it's enough for child in that society because he sees everyone's yeah, doing yeah, it. Everyone's Whereas here, thing. it's totally different. You need to have conversations where, okay, well, this is the wisdom. This is why, this is why. I think that happens quite a lot of here because of, with this community, well, London especially is a multicultural society. So mm. I don't think it's, I think that happens to a lot of uh, individuals. What I did want to say though, was that we've spoken quite uh, a bit about our like religious uh, engagement or disengagement and I feel we're very blessed to be a part of this community because of how close-knit we are and it's quite easy for us to engage yeah. our youth. Um, well, mm. I say easy, but it's, we, we have the means to There's do it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We have a method. And also, uh, when we talk about youth empowerment and youth engagement, how our community is set up, uh, how especially our uh, uh, youth um, auxiliary organization MKA I think that honestly is one of the most amazing organizations in the world only because of how it can set people up for life mm. it it, I, I remember one of the first apartments I was in was literally I was a, a tifel a, a, a tfal I don't know how we translate so it as a is under it 15. Under, yeah, under 15. so children under the age of 15. Yeah, so I remember... 7 to 15. Yeah, I remember one of my first jobs, I was living in Tooting at the time. Oh, yeah, in Wandsworth, sorry. I was living in Wandsworth, and my first department was publications. I had to create a newsletter, and I had the basic means of um, a, com a, a computer. Uh, I, I, sorry, I borrowed... Um, no, I used to come to an office... Uh, with Nadima Rahman Sahib, I don't know yeah, if you guys yeah. remember him, and he used to help me create this uh, newsletter, two-page newsletter a month, uh, where I used to put in random facts, a verse of the Quran, talk about what's been going on in the in the, in the community, and that's just one example of the publications department. Now, if we look, there's 17, 18 departments within yeah. our uh, uh, community, within the organization. And then you have a local level, you have a regional level and a national level. And I think all those different levels and the departments as well can set you up perfectly for life in terms of the skills that Building you can establish. Skills, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. But the issues that I think that we need to discuss are, cool, we have that within our community, which we... Outside of that. Outside of that, how engaged is are, are, are the youth with society generally and do you feel that the trajectory that we're on is a positive one is the outlook is good or that is getting worse because my personal example before we can get into discussion is that I feel like it's getting worse if we've seen like the level of austerity that's happened in the last decade or so we've lost our libraries we've lost our uh, youth centres um, especially with as I mentioned before the actions and behaviours of politicians have caused more disengagement you see what happened with Grenfell Tower then we saw the politicians at the time like, I don't know if I can mention the name but it will be apparent but how politicians came to where the fire happened and completely ignored the members of community people, there yeah. they didn't even bother speaking to the people of the community 
they literally walked around the site. They saw community members there who were directly affected by this tragic fire that happened, but they didn't even bother talking to them. They just went, they walked around, spoke to the officials, spoke to the fire, um, uh, fire, brigade, fire brigade police, and then just left. Now, the issue that I think we need to discuss is how can, what, or where, where, are, where do we stand with youth societal engagement slash disengagement? Such a difficult question because there's various aspects of society. Like, for example, if you were to take the criminal justice system, mm. um, like, you could probably argue it's not rehabilitative. And yeah. it, once, and a lot of the youth that come from sort of deprived backgrounds, if they get caught in the system, they stay in the system. Yeah, right? It's very difficult to get out of the system. So it's such a wide question where it's difficult to answer. But if you look at it, and Smiley, you can probably correct me, but if you look at it from Isl- Islamically, a society or like a political group or like the leaders of that society, the the responsibility lies with them to create a society which is fair, you know, a society based on justice, um, society which gives and, and His Holiness has often said that one of the ways to tackle radicalization is to offer the youth jobs, you know, an education or where they've been educated. You know, for example, if someone's highly educated in something but he can't find a job, you know, like that's obviously, you know, how difficult is that to accept that uh, they've spent many years? And I think so. One of the ways to sort of yeah, Islam's response is obviously the politicians, the leaders need to create that society. But I feel like, I don't know if, if as a society or as sort of um, in terms of sort of our leaders and, and, and our societal structure, that's it, whether it's gone too far, whether it can even come back, because there's no there's no real belief or faith um, in sort of, you know, that the youth have with sort of our leaders to exactly. to provide yeah. those answers and to provide... Um, you know, often when you speak to the youth, they, they don't. And they don't that's have what faith I think that, the, that they're going to yeah. come out of uni and get the best jobs. If anything, like you know, we've been to uni, mm-hmm. and th- often the, the conversations are, "How are we going to get a job?" Whereas, what have you studied for? Then, if you're still going to struggle to get yeah. a job and do well, and often you find people study in one area and and get a job in a different area, yeah. the interests of that individual are forced to change. Because they need to survive, so it's just yeah. kind of like you're just trying to survive, really. The thing is, I, I think the the issue that you mentioned in terms of lack of engagement in societal um, is it environment or situations or society, society in yeah. general. I think it stems to, and again, I'm going to say this, and people might think, well, you're going to say that because it's like you're an imam or you're a Muslim radio show, but it, it's lack of righteousness. But the thing is, the thing with righteousness is, it's a word that we've heard so many times, that we've used so many times, that we don't understand the true concept of it. That what do we mean by righteousness? Actually, it's a lack of understanding that there is someone who's always watching us and we're answerable to him for all of our actions. So what happens is when you're in position of power, whether it be political, uh, whatever it may be, whatever department you are, whether it's political, religious, any department, any mm-hmm. field in life, where you have uh, some sort of role and authority to do something and you don't do it keeping God as witness in terms of you're not on the straight and narrow and you start doing injustice that's when not only do you go away from your true purpose but also then fulfilling the rights of those who are your subjects in terms of that you deal with mm. and I think when that happens more and more then the youth that are let's say maybe they're not spiritual enough to understand that actually 
okay, this is a trial and test. They then come under the assumption where, okay, I need to play this game. Mm. I need to play in the same way. I need to do this. Okay, if he's doing that and he's successful, maybe I should do that. And that, maybe that's the mm. kind of, if I go down this path of not being honest with the time or uh, I have to be very sly in how I approach certain things, maybe that's what would lead me to success. So it's one of those things. But I, and I think with, with success, it doesn't come without struggle. 100%. And I think you see it even from a religious point of view, the people that suffered the most historically are prophets. And prophets are the most dearest people to God. Mm. So it's not as if the people who are dearest to God had it easy and now we're here struggling. They struggled the most. But because they had that righteousness, they had the element of a living relationship with God, they knew that stay humble, stay patient, fight for what's right, fight for people's rights. Now it's not, you're not doing anything to serve people. Everyone's serving themselves. So in these institutes where actually you're in a position to serve like in government, you're in a position to serve. But the reality is it's very much me, me, me. And I, a very interesting I heard the other day, actually, someone said that if you compare politicians of today to maybe like 15, 20 years ago, you are someone, what's your best achievement? Or why do you want to do this? Or in your political reign, what's your best achievement? And he goes, you can tell about a character when they would, t there's certain people who would say, when we did this, it helped so many people that for me was my best achievement. Mm. And he goes, there are others who would answer by saying, oh, by reaching this post, that was my best achievement. Mm. And he goes, there's such a difference. And he goes, you might not notice it, but when your best achievement is affecting people's lives for better compared to reaching a post, it really tells what your intentions are mm. and how much you really care about that post and what it stands <laughs> for. Or is it just you wanted that popularity and now you've achieved it, you do anything to stay in that position. Mm. So again, it comes down to ultimately, and I, and I mentioned at the start of this topic, that there's one issue I feel that resolves all issues, and that's recognizing our career. Mm. Honestly, because none of us, not one one thing we all have in common, regardless of our race, gender, religion, is we have no say in when we're born, and we have no say in when we die. Mm. Like that for me is such a powerful statement that none of us have any say in when we're going to go or when we came to this world. Meaning that there has to be some sort of purpose to why mm. we're here. Mm. And again, I, by no means am I just preaching and saying everyone turn Muslim. No, like follow whatever religion you are, but follow it properly. Because mm. that's what the Quran says as well when it, mm. when, it, when it mentions other religions. It says follow your religion properly. And if you do that, you understand that there is a God that we're answerable mm. to. And we don't see him, but he sees us. And that mm. is the biggest test. Mm. That do we feel when we're not being observed by any human being that there's still a presence who's seeing what we're doing mm. and do I have it in my conscious to know that okay well, what I'm about to do this one individual like you said for someone who may approach you for a certain service am I going to fulfill his rights and deal with him in an honest way or am I going to just do a tick box and do everything according to my own liking mm. so these things I can only imagine when the youth go through these things like someone who studied seven years mm. put himself in debt to do that mm and come out and realized there's no opportunity for me. Mm. Like I can only imagine what that, like, that student or that youth at that time is going through. It's so difficult. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there in terms of accountability. 
and yeah. uh, especially when you mentioned that um, you know politicians now would look at look at their success as what post they've achieved, whereas politicians potentially before would look at okay what impact they've made. Yeah. And 100%, I, I I agree with that. In and even if we look at how we've mentioned this before, but how elections take place within our community, we shy away. We've mentioned this before as well, but none of us want to be in those positions of power because we know that it's a lot of responsibility mm. and we have to fulfill those responsibilities to the best of our ability yeah. and do them uh, right, do them with justice and to make sure that everyone is, uh, uh, you know, um, treated equally and fairly. Whereas these um, where politicians, it seems like they're all fighting for like me, me, me. No, I'm the best. I'm, yeah, exactly. When they when they put their campaigns out, they're always arguing like, I will do this. No, I will do this. Like, vote for me, vote for me, vote for me. Whereas it should be completely the other way. Yeah. People should look at their behaviours and see, okay, this person's an X, Y, Z. So therefore, this person is probably the best for the job. So, um, yeah, I, I think uh, motivations... Um, you know they're they're probably not in the right place, but also as you mentioned, accountability. And I think um, I personally believe society has missed the trick completely in terms of we need to focus on our youth. You know, as you mentioned, the the second successor of our community mentioned, or uh, you know, he established this saying that a nation cannot be reformed without first without first reforming its youth, and it's so true because who's going to be the yeah. leader of the future it's going to be the children now so if we don't invest in them properly if we don't engage with them properly if we don't raise them properly if we don't put them on the right path from the get go then what sort of society are we raising and now if we look at all the the individuals in power if they only have selfish interests and look out for certain segments of society that are potentially of a certain income or certain race or etc then you're only it's only going to push it's only going to widen the gap between those who are less fortunate to those who are fortunate so yeah i, f- I feel with <coughs> one thing uh, i know we're coming to the end of our show i think the difference between religious engagement and societal engagement is religion is a choice. Mm-hmm. Like even if you're born in a household, let's say Christian, Muslim, whatever it is, when you're of a mature age, you can decide out of your own free will to continue practicing or not practicing. Mm-hmm. No one can force you. Even our religion says that, like Rafidin, that there's no compulsion in religion. Whereas society, there's no choice. Like we can't just stay locked indoors. Or, you know, like not face society, not go to school. We have to go to school. You have to work to earn, to provide. So the issues that you face there and when you do face injustice or difficulty, that can really disengage you and make you feel that, you know what, this is like, there's nothing, um, there's no point. You can get, you really start feeling like a victim. And I feel this is where then religion plays an even more crucial role in helping us develop as individuals because yeah. there are reasons why people go through it. like mental health is not just a new thing like it's always been a problem like mm. hundreds of years ago people would feel sad they feel depressed they feel like they there's no point of living so it's always been a problem but i feel now it's obviously come to the forefront and good those who need help should get it but what i'm saying is when you're f- when you're faced with a dilemma in society which you have to face like you like i said we don't stay indoors you has to be a balance of actually, well, I'm only in control of my actions. How do I react? Mm-hmm. And I feel that's where religion plays a huge role. 
And I think a lot of people, look, sometimes people uh, turn to God for different reasons. Some people turn to him when they're in dire need. Some people turn to him in realization that, okay, this is a blessing. Whatever it is, God is very merciful. And God is very, his grace oversees everything. And he's always accepting of us. So to understand that, that actually I'm only in control of my actions, whether I'm faced with injustice or whether someone's treated me fairly, unfairly, whatever it is, this is what's really going to give me satisfaction. I mean, you guys as well. Okay, I, I'm a life devotee, but you guys can tell like you lot live in the real world. You lot work. What's the comparison in terms of satisfaction you get from work compared to satisfaction you get from, like, say, prayers or actually really going out of your way to help someone? Like, so part of our religious practices is not just worship. Worship is a fundamental uh, teaching that we fulfill the rights of God. But the second fundamental teaching is to fulfill the rights of man. And we mm. do that through serving man, mm. by serving God's creation, regardless of who they are, whether they have the same beliefs or not. We will try our utmost to, not just in our communities that we live in, but throughout the world, make a positive change. Mm. So if you just compare that satisfaction, and I know, and I say this because a lot of people who are, who feel down, who sometimes are going through depression, one thing that helps them, and I've, I've, I've heard a lot of people that I've been involved with where we help them, is where they practically see because there's one thing saying it look there's someone who's worse off than you mm. that does nothing but when you physically see that when you go out to do charity work and you see that actually and you realize that actually no matter how bad I have it there's someone who's worse off that then really helps them get back on their feet mm. and that only happens through these religious practices so yeah, yeah you know there's uh, been a lot of studies that have come out recently to show that one thing that helps people come out of these low moods and depression is acting, I've forgotten the word, but um, it's when you act selflessly, it's when yeah. you give to charity, it's when yeah. you help people in, in in need, and then when you start seeing the blessing, it must, it, I don't remember the research paper, I remember reading the research paper about four years ago, but I don't remember the research paper actually mentioning something about you appreciating your blessings or whatever, yeah. but that's ultimately what it comes down to. When you when you help other people in need, and then ultimately you will only see how better off you are. Absolutely, absolutely. No, I think that's a good way to end today's show. We'd like to thank both of our callers, Mr. Adik and Mr. Zan, for jo- taking time out um, to join us and discussing their experiences prior as serving um, within this youth organization. I'd like to thank all of our listeners and, of course, Mr. Mudabir and Shams. Till next week, we see you next week. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace and blessings of God be upon you all.